Good morning, church. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 to 11. Consider him who endured from, from, sinners, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Morning, everybody. I uh, just wanted to thank Sam for that prayer. Thank you for that blessing. Thank you for you for the scripture reading this morning. Uh, we have uh, actually five newcomers today, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say your name. If you could just raise your hand, and then we'll we'll all greet you together. Uh, Sun Wu Cho. Awesome. Thank you for coming. And Jessica Choi. Rachel Kim, awesome. Uh, Sarah Cho, and finally Ashley Kim. Okay. Welcome, welcome. So glad you can join us this morning. Uh, it always is a privilege and an honor to be able to share with you God's word. It is. Uh, I feel like it's been a while since I've been at 11 a.m. service. It's been over a month. I've been speaking at various churches, speaking for youth group. We were away at a retreat for our young adult and our seed last week. Uh, I just want to say to you, thank you so much for praying for us. It was really a blessed and restful time. Uh, I hope that those of us who are at retreat that are here now, we can not only share with you the experiences that we had, but that we could show you through our lifestyles. Thank you so much for everything. Um, also wanted to say, Happy Father's Day. I know that Mother's Day is often the elevated one, and then Father's Day is kind of on this back burner, but I wanted to uh, thank you so much for all that you do, for being so faithful to our families, for leading our families, and the reason I actually picked today's passage was because today would be Father's Day, so I hope that it would be equally as encouraging and as challenging to you as it is to me. Before we get into this passage, we have to go over some context. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is very much indicative of this crescendo of events that is building to its climax. And this crescendo consists of examples where, of faith where our spiritual forefathers endured hardship and persecution. 
It says, dying of their faith, they have not received the things promised. But having greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, God was not ashamed to be called their God because they desired a better country. And through that, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and in mountains and dens and in caves of the earth, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God promised something better for us, that apart from us, they should be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And here we we reach the first verse of our passage in verse 3. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, the author calls us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely as he reassures his audience, these Jewish Christians, that they are experiencing hard times, but not to the point of shedding blood. Translation, I understand what you're going through, and I know it's hard, but it does not get to the point where you are literally dying for your faith. So he calls for endurance against hardship, against struggle, to strengthen their weak and feeble knees. He is looking upon all of these spiritual forefathers that came before and Jesus himself, and he is telling us to look and to see their example. And in our passage this morning, he gives an example for what lies behind our trials and tribulations and how it is used and ordained by God to build and shape us in order that we might persevere. The title of today's word is God's faithful discipline. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your church is filled with imperfect people. But we worship a perfect God, a perfect Father who knows what is best for his children. What a grace! What a mercy that is for us, that our promises and our confession of hope holds true in the death and the resurrection of Christ. There really is nothing better than that. Help us this morning as we receive your word in our hearts and in our minds. 
that you would stir us for reverence and awe of you and to passionately display every day how good you have been to us when we least deserved it. I pray as I always do that it would not be me speaking your words, but that it would be you, that if anything I would just get out of the way, that you would be elevated, that you would be lifted high, that you would be glorified. Thank you for all those that have come this morning. Thank you for the visitors. Thank you for the committed members. Uh, we, We pray that we would receive what you have ordained for us. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm sure, I'm sure you all know who Kobe Bryant is. If you don't know, let me tell you some accolades, some achievements that he has. Five-time NBA champion, 18-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA, 2008 MVP, two times Finals MVP. And the stat that I am most impressed, 12-time All-Defense. NBA now, they don't really play that much defense, but this man played defense. He scored 81 points in one game, and I could literally go on and on and on about all of his achievements, but do you know how he started out as a rookie? I want to set the setting here. Follow me back in time to the year of 1997, where I was only six years old. It is game five of the Western Conference Finals of the NBA playoffs, and the Utah Jazz are playing the L.A. Lakers. And the L.A. Lakers are down 3-1, to one, facing an elimination game. So for them, it is win or go home. Three of the best players at the time, they are either out due to ejection or injury or being fouled out. Shaq had actually fouled out of the fourth quarter. So it is up to this lowly rookie to come off the bench who had only averaged 15 minutes a game. This was his opportunity. This was his big moment to shine. And this moment would solidify the rest of his career. But not in the way that you and I would have expected it to. Do you know what happened? Game's tied. 87 to 87. And it's Kobe, so he's hitting a, he shoots this contested mid-range pull-up jumper. Shoots it, nothing but air. Misses everything. But it's okay. They tie, they go to overtime. So he has an opportunity to redeem himself, to reconcile. So he shoots another three-pointer. Air ball. It's Kobe Bryant. He can't miss three times in a row. He comes down, shoots an air ball again. And in the final closing moments, he shoots one more shot, one more contested three-pointer. Air ball. Kobe missed four times in a row, and he hit nothing. They lose the game because of him. And he finishes with a measly 11 points. His career was over, and we never heard from him again. For only about a few hours. Catches the red eye, back to L.A., comes into town 3 a.m. You know what he does? He goes on to a local high school in Pacific Palisades where a janitor opens up the gym for him. And in his own words, he shot jumpers all day. All day. I mean all day. 
A wise man once told me, discipline is not instant gratification. It is delayed gratification. He established his work ethic, and that whole off-season, you better believe he has these shooting jumpers. I never want to feel that feeling ever again. So, so the schedule comes out for next season. And guess who they play in the season opener? The Utah Jazz. You better believe he circled that on his calendar. He's chomping at the bit. So they play against the Utah Jazz, and they win. And he scores 23 points. This was the turning point for what set the tone for the rest of his career, which he later confirmed to say, and I want to tell you what a blessing it was that he went through this. Because alternatively, I want to imagine if he had actually made those shots that he missed, maybe he would have turned out differently. Maybe he would have let that success get to his head. But because he missed those shots, because we know that he struggled, we know him as the Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant. This man went through a particular discipline so that he would grow stronger. And we, in turn, are called to go through it as well. Not so that our circumstances or our situations would grow easier, no, but that we would grow stronger in response to harsher conditions and harsher environments. I hope to explain to you this morning that what we go through is meant for our good because God allows it to be good. If you're taking notes, the main point that I have for you this morning is that God's faithful discipline leads us to perseverance. I have three sub-points for you this morning. The first is we are to expect discipline. The second, we are to endure discipline. And the third, we are to enjoy discipline. So the first part, we are to expect discipline. Discipline has many connotations, and there are an umbrella of terms that it can mean. We may oftentimes see discipline as a means of correction, but what we see when we are talking about in this chapter more specifically is that discipline is a form of training. We face persecution and hardship, which may not be brought upon by anything that we had particularly done but simply because of what God has ordained for us in order that we may grow mature in the genuineness of our faith. So what then are the theological implications of this? Well, God is completely sovereign. He is in control of all things as all things are under him, and he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and in the ultimate plan of his sovereignty, he is God. And in the interwoven design, we are chosen to be his people as we are preserved and matured through this wonderful blessing and gift of discipline. The discipline that God gives to us takes on a faithful attribute. You see, it is faithful and faith-filled in nature. It is God's distinguishing of us as his people, his chosen elect. So disclaimer, this message is not for unbelievers. It is for us, the church, those who profess, those who hope in Christ, this is specifically for you and I. Because we reach this juncture where we are to interpret what discipline is for us. And I hope to post to you that there are two categories that we can expect discipline in. And it's essentially differentiating between what we know as soft discipline and hard discipline. Soft discipline, we may characterize much of what we go through in our immediate context. 
Maybe it's not getting certain things that we desperately desired. Maybe it was that new job. Maybe it was that new promotion, a home. Maybe it was a relationship we hoped for. Maybe it was a marriage, and it didn't work out, and we feel like it is the end of the world. Going through uncomfortable conversations, situations with people that may be very different from us, an inconvenient misunderstanding with a significant other, or maybe it is a fight with a spouse. Having friends to urge us to go out on Saturday night and not to go to church on Sunday morning. Or maybe trying to just organize a young adult and college retreat. These are some examples of soft, sanctifying discipline. And we all experience this, but what about hard discipline? This, this may get a little bit more intense. I want to present these to you not to minimize your struggles or to tell you that it isn't that big of a deal, but there are those where this type of discipline is very much a reality. There are those that die for their faith. Opening up churches in war zones. Being disowned by their families for committing to Christ in a country where the majority of it is a foreign and an unforgiving religion. Having to meet for Sunday service in secret in underground churches. Losing homes, losing jobs, family members, friends, just because you say you believe in Jesus Christ. Those that are jailed, those that are tortured, those that are starving, not knowing when their next meal may come. Hard discipline. And you see, what is seemingly remarkable is that there are those that continue to press on, even though they face this kind of discipline. And what is even more impressive to me is that there are those that expect it to come and not relent in holding on to their faith. What? How do I know this? Because it is explained countless times in the examples of those who suffered for the gospel in Hebrews chapter 11. They were anticipating this type of discipline that was to come, and they continued to persevere. Why? Why in the world would they do such a thing? You see, whether we go through soft or hard discipline, I hope to answer to you this morning how we are to address them. And to know that we can interpret what we go through, not as punishment, no, but as training for our good. Which brings us to our second point. How are we to, in, how are we to endure discipline? The value of discipline is always seen in hindsight. Look with me in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't believe anyone ever in the history of the whole world, while they're going through discipline, says, this is awesome. This is great. I love that I'm going through suffering right now. I don't think Kobe enjoyed losing against the Jazz because he hoisted up four air balls. But in hindsight, he would say that it was the turning point in his career for how he would be able to handle adversity. You look back and you see the fruit of discipline. You realize the course that it sets you on for the rest of your life. 
So how are we to endure through this soft and hard discipline that we face? Some of you may be thinking and feeling, well, pastor, I just, ah, oh, man, I just don't have the strength anymore. I can't do this. The struggle is too much. The weight is too hard to bear. It is discouraging, and it is tiring, and I want to quit. And I'm sure you've told this to people, and they have had a very loving but misguided answer that goes somewhere along the lines of, it's okay. God won't give you more than you can't handle. And to that response, I would say, wrong. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. People usually take 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 out of context to derive this meaning. And it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is why context is very important. Because in this particular verse... It is talking about temptation and sin rather than going through a specific trial or a form of persecution. Therefore, the verse is specifically commenting on how God will always give us a way out for us not to commit sin. God does not cause our temptation or our sin, but always gives us a means to resist it. It is a whole other situation, though. When we are talking about facing discipline that sanctifies us. Because when we consider the hardships and the trials that we face, it is a fact that God gives us far more than we can handle. I'll say that again because it's very important that you know this. God will give you far more than you can handle. Examples of this, tell it to all of our spiritual forefathers who were burned, sawn into, tortured, crucified. They surely were given far much more than they could handle. You see, but the key is that even in the midst of all those things that they suffered, they persevered and they held on to faith. The Bible comments of these men, the world was not worthy of them. God gives us far more than we can bear. Why in the world would he do that? For what purpose? It is so that the son becomes more like the father. It is so that the son is a spitting image of his dad. Verse 9 says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. You see, when a father disciplines his son, he wants what is best for his son. This may take the form of correction when the child is behaving badly, or it might just be general training so that the boy can grow up to become a man. 
that they would know how to brush their own teeth, make their own bed, be able to change a tire, know how to file their taxes, budget accordingly, rake leaves, mow the lawn, or just be open and teachable and living with integrity and knowing how to work hard. Training them in all of these ways that they may grow and develop into be an able-bodied man, that they would not be incapable or incompetent when they mature. And this may strike some of you. Understand also just because you get older doesn't mean you mature. This is loving of the father to discipline the son. And oftentimes the training for this takes time. And fathers, you know it takes a lot of kicking and screaming, rebellion, hardship, struggle. But it is all going in a direction so that the son may look a little bit more like the father. And I'm sure you hope that one day they'd be better than you. How many of our parents' generation will mostly say as a whole that they wanted the best for us. And I know some of us have had imperfect fathers. Some of us have had abusive fathers. Some of us have had absent fathers. But what I want to remind you today, if you have your hope and your faith in Christ, you have a perfect heavenly father amen our earthly fathers did the best good that they can muster up for us but the discipline that god provides for us it does not compare god's discipline for us is far greater because it reveals his heart and his character and he is faithful because he is completely sovereign in all of our circumstances. So we know that the good that he is producing in and through us is for his glory and our good. He is the embodiment of love itself. And when he lovingly demonstrates his love for us through his son, it is validated further through what we see on the cross. Because Christ endured despising its shame, we can endure. Consider what Christ had to go through for you and for me. It, it really is an interesting way of framing what Christ had to face in verse 3. It says, he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. We have to look back at his life to see what he went through on our behalf and what was the pinnacle of that trial, which was the cross. All that was pressed upon his shoulders, those he invested in the most, having abandoned him in his hour of most vulnerability, taking upon all the sin, all the hate, and all the brokenness of man head on. Because Jesus did not take on the discipline of God. He took upon himself the punishment of God, the punishment that we deserve. Just soak in that for a little bit. But you know, you and I, we have our day-to-day. -day. We forget this. I forget the examples that our forefathers left. I forget how they lived by faith. I forget the faithfulness of Christ. 
And I know that I continue to stumble and I falter every day as I ask how, how in the world could they muster up such faith in the midst of fear and uncertainty and hardship? It's almost as if they knew something that we didn't. What was their secret? Did they just find it within themselves and just will themselves because these people were just built different? Does it suffice to say that we just suck it up and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we get to work? No, I don't think that's the answer. Because speaking from experience, you may be able to do that for a time frame, maybe for a season, but I guarantee that will not last. Because we all have limits, we all have different thresholds of pain and different capacities for hardship. So here's what I may present to you. Rather than looking at your hardship or making you feel guilty about someone else going through a greater hardship than you may be going through, it's a phenomenon that's common in our Christian circles today, comparing hardship. Oh, what you went through is bad. Oh, it doesn't compare to what I'm going through. Mine's much worse than what you're going through, sort of mentality. I post to you that we are to come to an acceptance of what we are going through, whether it be soft or hard discipline. I think that if we can categorize it as such, we can have a better perspective in realizing that a lot of the situations that we are in are either not as serious as we thought or more serious than we thought. But we first have to come in acceptance of it and finding counsel in the Lord through his word, finding counsel in your community of trusted friends and believers who will tell you and me what we need to hear and not just what we want to hear. All for his glory so that you are persevering in your faith. We are to be saturated in prayer and we are to surround ourselves with those who we know are living in faith because you're aware of the circumstance and the hardships that they are going through, yet they still choose to praise God. Understand it is a process of being sanctified, and it takes time. And it's not a passive pursuit of your faith. It is an active one. If you can garner from what I'm saying, you need a body of members to do this. Again and again, the author of Hebrews addresses the audience not with you, you as an individual. I think a lot of times we read the Bible as you as an individual. No, but he says, you all together as the body of Christ. We are to take this word together. We can't do it alone. Shameless plug. We have a membership class. July 7th, Thursdays at 6.30. If you are not a committed member, this would be a great opportunity for you to commit. And I wanted to just debunk some misconceptions we have about membership. I think oftentimes we think, you know, it's very, like, individualistic of us. It's, oh, it's me committing to the church. But it's not just that. That is an important factor, but... Understand that membership is not just you committing to church. It is the church committing to you. Knowing that we have to do this together. 
Because if you continue to will yourself alone without the grace of God, what will result is a denial and a detachment of your struggles, which will only lead you to the poison of bitterness and a stunted growth in what God is trying to teach to you and to me. Rather than focusing on what you've done, what you're going through, we are to focus on who we are because of who God is. So our third and final point, we are to enjoy discipline. You see, those first two points, we may find the logical progression, expecting, enduring, but this third one, enjoy discipline. Might seem a bit odd to hear. How are we to enjoy discipline? You see, in James chapter 1, verse 2 through, 2 through 4, it reiterates this sentiment, and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice it doesn't say if, but when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, there is no greater example of someone that expected, that endured, and that enjoyed discipline more than Jesus himself. We do because he already did. Christ expected it. He endured it. And you better believe he enjoyed it. Discipline is an indication of love. It is an indication of sonship. It shows us that we have legitimacy with our relationship with God. We are his genuine children. Notice it does say sonship because to be a legitimate heir was to be endowed with being a son. And so we have reasons. We have foundational grounds for our suffering in this world because we know that he is for our good when it doesn't seem to be so good. And there's so many times when it doesn't seem to be so good. I read an article this past week. As you know, there's a situation still going on in Ukraine where Russia has declared war against them. And this article struck me because it was a pastor who is currently residing there. And he is choosing to open up church on Sunday. So our article says this, a Ukrainian church with ties to Wichita, Kansas, has kept its doors open throughout the crisis in its country, explaining that many in Ukraine are feeling panicked as they try to find normalcy in the middle of a war. That phrase really gets me. Finding normalcy in the middle of a war. Vadim Ignatenko, pastor of the Good News Church, said he is trying to keep the peace the best way that he can through Scripture. For decades, Pastor Vadim has spread the word of God around the world, including in Wichita, where he's visited several churches. He said preaching in communities like Wichita has brought him closer to God. Back in Ukraine, many members of his church have fled the country 
for safety. The church is in Poltava, an eastern Ukraine town close to Kharkiv, a city within the past week has been invaded by Russia. Pastor Vadim stayed, deciding to keep his church open, posting all of his services on Facebook Live. More than ever, he said, Ukrainians need places that can provide at least some safety. And because of this, he says in his own words, I understand that church needs to speak the word of hope, the word of praise, and the sense that we need to support people. This is a man motivated by a very different perspective. A man who knows what he has in Christ and who is going headfirst into trouble. We can enjoy discipline because God gives us far more good than we deserve. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We can sum up that passage to three words. How much more? How much more? How much more does God love us and discipline us? He sent his one and only son. You and I persevere not because we look upon our circumstances and we overcome them. We persevere because we look upon Jesus who overcame the cross. The greatest endurance the greatest enjoyment experienced in the midst of hardship. It became not just evident on the cross on the hill of Golgotha, but first in the garden of Gethsemane, where he said to his disciples who left him, who abandoned him, who fell asleep, he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. Watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand, the throne of God Almighty. So the application, how are, we to, how are we able to endure discipline and persevere? We have to come to an understanding that it is God who disciplines us. And how can we be assured that even hard disciplines are for the purpose of producing the fruit of righteousness? Because Jesus took on our punishment and did the hard work on our behalf, which is 
why God disciplines us for holiness rather than punish us to destruction. I love this passage in Hebrews 10, 19-25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how we are to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What we find is a great summation of our Christian life. And there is an interesting progression that occurs. There is this vertical relationship that is being established. And simultaneously, there is this horizontal one that follows suit. Because of Christ, we have new life and reason to endure. Knowing that it sanctifies us and brings us to a place of full assurance of faith. Holding fast our confession of hope because he who promised is faithful. And it is thus therefore that we stir one another up for love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another as we see the day drawing near. God's faithful discipline, it leads us to perseverance. We can expect it, we can endure it, and you better believe we can enjoy it because of him. I'll close with this illustration. So <clears throat> last week we were away at retreat, and it was a, I can't really express the words how much of a blessing it was for us to gather together, because it's been two and a half years, and for us to grow closer together and grow as the body of Christ to be able to worship God. And I want to just thank you again so much for praying for us during that time. Uh, I hope we can share that blessing with you through how we live, through our word and our deed. But I'll be honest to admit, as great as the retreat was, I was tired. <laughs> It's no joke trying to run a retreat. I was personally worn out because, because my mind was always seeking to do what was next. And there are so many moments where I just, I just couldn't enjoy retreat. So it's the last day of our retreat. In the morning of our final worship set, exactly seven days ago. And uh, I realized I didn't ask for permission, but... Uh, Elder Wooj, we, uh, I'm going to mention you in, in, in this story. So, <laughs> so we had our final worship set. And uh, we finished our first song, which was uh, called Hosanna. And before we went into our next song, Elder Wooj uh, wanted to uh, express to us the, the meaning of Hosanna. And he went on to say that Hosanna, if you didn't know this, has a dual meaning. The first meaning is essentially God, save us. The Messiah, come and save us. And the second meaning 
is an expression of adoration, of praise, of worship. And what I distinctly remember from that retreat, every worship session that we had, everyone was singing of their own accord. Everyone was singing so loudly, so passionately. And Elder Woods took note of this, and he said, I love that we're doing this here. Let's bring it back home. And he said this. I'll never forget what he said. He said, oh, God deserves to be worshipped every Sunday. God deserves to be worshipped every Sunday. I don't know how many times I've heard that in my life. Usually in chastisement. Andrew, God deserves to be worshipped every Sunday. Therefore, you got to do this. God deserves to be worshipped every Sunday. Therefore, you got to do that. But for the first time, it's weird when you've heard something so many times, but for one time, you hear it a little bit differently. All I heard was in gentle encouragement, God deserves to be worshipped every Sunday. It's hard for me to cry. I tears welled up in my eyes because it just hit me so hard. God does deserve to be worshipped every Sunday. In that moment, it was as clear as day where the focus was not on me, not on our congregation, or the setting that we are in, a retreat, a gospel conference, or just church on Sunday. It was not dependent on that, not even on my soft discipline, but it was on God and how he is worthy and unchanging every Sabbath Sunday. With my all, with my everything, not just at a retreat, not just when life is working in my favor, and not when I just feel like it. He deserves to be worshipped every Sunday. But not only that, every day. And so, church, I call you as I call upon myself. Let us look to Jesus and set our eyes upon him. For when we do, we shall surely persevere through any and every circumstance. Let's pray. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would consider him? It really is hard to fathom the love of God for such rebellious, such forgetful, and such sinful people. But it doesn't mean that it's not true. And it doesn't mean that it's not good. Maybe there are hearts this morning that are on the edge of believing that. They are on the edge of denying it. And they are on the edge of doubting it. 
But I pray that, Father, you would open up and create a renewal of our minds and open up hearts to receive that you are God, that you are to be worshipped every Sunday, and how much more that you are our Father. May we not forget this. And if we do forget it, bring us to Scripture. Bring us into this body to keep us accountable to remind ourselves of what we have in Christ. Thank you for being so faithful to us when we have been so rebellious and unfaithful to you. Teach us to be a church that is passionate for your name. Teach us to be a church that is sacrificial and selfless rather than selfish. Teach us to be a church that is not just hung up on our trials and our circumstances and our hardships, but that we would look beyond those things and look to our Savior who endured the cross. Teach us to be a church to value worshiping you every Sunday and Monday through Saturday as well. Give us grace because we need it. Give us mercy because we need it even more. Thank you for sending your son to die upon the cross. I pray that we would stand and worship to respond to that.